Hello, this is Fabrice, and welcome to Fabulous Destinies. Today I'm going to tell you about one of the greatest warriors in history. It is said that wherever his horse passed, the grass would not grow back. Barbaric, bloodthirsty, brutal. There is no shortage of adjectives to describe this man who shook the Roman Empire. But the one who was nicknamed the Scourge of God was actually as cultured as he was a brilliant strategist and tactician. His name was Attila. Discover his fabulous destiny. June 20th, 451 AD, south of the city of Reims, the earth seems to be trembling. But in reality, it is a gigantic army gathering. Tens of thousands of horses pound the ground with their wild and threatening gallops. War cries echo in the air, and the wheels of hundreds of carts creak under the weight of the accumulated loot. For a few months now, Nearly half a million people have been pouring into Gaul, crossing the country from east to west. In this nomadic mass of barbarians, there are of course fighters, but also women, children, and the elderly. It is a whole people in motion that ravages everything in its path, pillages cities, burns fields, and annihilates. They are called the Huns, and the fear they inspire is limitless. No one seems to be able to control them, except for their leader, the proud and terrible Attila. Perched on a small horse at the head of the procession, the king of the Huns raises his arm as a sign to stop. The entire nation following him comes to a halt. Attila is about 50 years old. He is not tall, but one can sense his broad chest under his leather and animal fur clothes. He has a beard, long hair, and a flattened skull. He is not very physically imposing, and his face is quite unattractive, but each of his gestures is precise and measured. He has a fascinating presence. One feels that, at any moment, he could grab his bow and shoot an arrow into an enemy's forehead. His eyes, especially, thin and piercing, betray his rage to win. Attila orders his cavalry to join him in the front line. It is here on the plains of the Catalonian fields, near the current Chalon en Champagne, that the greatest battle of the century will take place. The shamans and priestesses of his people have predicted it. The power of the Huns will fall on the entire world and the name of Attila will make Rome and Constantinople tremble. On the other side of the plain, a few hundred meters away, another army waits. It is made up of 50,000 highly trained and experienced Roman soldiers. At their head, the Roman general Flavius Aetius. Helmeted, Equipped with a lance, a shield, and a chainmail, he intends to push back this horde of barbarians to the borders of the empire. 
but they should not be underestimated, and even less so their leader, Attila. Flavius Aetius is a brilliant strategist, and he understands better than anyone the strengths, but also the weaknesses of the Huns. He owes this lucidity to his education, because even though a world separates the two men, Flavius Aetius and Attila are not strangers to each other. They are even childhood friends. The two armies face each other in silence. Attila squints his eyes as the sun is shining directly at him. His horse snorts and paws the ground with his hooves. It's too late to turn back now. Glory is within reach. Suddenly, Attila unsheaths his sword. Immediately, all of his cavalry draw their bows. He trots along the first line, looking each of his warriors in the eye. They are ready. Returning to the center of the battalion, he spurs his horse, and it gallops off at full speed. He charges straight towards the enemy. The war cry he lets out echoes across the plain. To understand the stakes of this historic battle between two childhood friends, Attila and Flavius Aetius, let's go back a few years. At the end of the 4th century AD, the Roman Empire is a vast territory that covers almost all of Europe, the Middle East, and part of present-day North Africa. In order to better defend and organize the territory, the empire is divided into two parts in 395. A western part, with Rome as its capital, and an eastern part, ruled by Constantinople. These two twin empires, although very powerful, face regular barbarian invasions that weaken them from within. Among these barbarians are the Huns, a nomadic people from Central Asia who practice raids and pillages regularly. To try to maintain peace with the Huns, the Romans do two things. First, they give them a generous sum of money each year. But above all, the emperor of the West sends young people from great families, sort of luxury hostages, as a token of friendship. One of these young people is Flavius Aetius. He is 15 years old when he arrives in the Danube Plains at the court of Ruga, the leader of the Huns and Attila's uncle. What he discovers there has absolutely nothing to do with the Roman civilization he knows. The camp is made up of yurts and the Hun people seem brutal and instinctive. They eat meat that is only half-cooked under the saddle of their horses and drink fermented mare's milk. Their warriors are skilled and excellent archers, but they often end their feast in single combat with axes. The children are the subject of prophecies by shamans and have their heads bound at birth to flatten them. Flavius Aetius can hardly believe his eyes. He has before him the worst possible opponent, barbarians without faith or law, and totally untamed. But among this terrifying horde, he meets the young prince of the Huns, then nine years old. His curious and intelligent gaze immediately strikes him. This child is Attila. 
and for a few years the two youths become friends and get to know each other. Four years later, the roles are reversed. It is Attila's turn at the age of 13 to go to Rome as a luxury hostage, hosted by Flavius. The Romans' goal is simple, to accustom the future elite of the Huns to their way of life, which they think is superior. For Attila, no more sheepskins, boots, and the smell of horse manure. He wears a toga, thin sandals, and bathes in thermal baths. He is taken to the forum, to the library. He learns Latin and Greek, but Attila is not impressed. Moreover, he develops a kind of hatred towards these debauched people, stuck in their comfortable little lives. Even though the merits of the civilization are extolled to him, Attila sees only weakness and decadence. Let's go back to the Huns. During the 20 years that follow, Attila's hatred for the Romans only grows. He plans to conquer the world and unify all nomadic tribes under his authority, from the Danube to Siberia. Finally, in 434, his uncle Ruga dies and Attila ascends the throne. He's then around 40 years old and his charisma is exceptional. For many years, Attila rules through terror. He immediately suppresses any rebellion in his camp and executes traitors tempted to join the ranks of the Romans. He also decides to increase the annual tribute paid to him by the empire. They are weak and fearful, so why not take advantage of that? On the Roman side, the growing power of the barbarians is not looked upon favorably. In Constantinople, Emperor Theodosius II organizes a plot to have Attila assassinated, but he fails miserably, and the affair comes to light. In Rome, on the western side, Emperor Valentinian III wants to force his sister, Honoria, to marry an old senator. To get revenge, and as a form of provocation, she offers her hand to Attila, promising him rights to half the empire. Of course, the marriage is annulled by the emperor, but the proposal did take place. Attila now has two valid reasons to attack the empire. The failed assassination allows him to declare war officially on the eastern part, and the annulled marriage on the western part. There is no time to lose. Attila prepares his troops and sets out. But things do not go as planned. Just as Attila is at the gates of Constantinople, Theodosius II dies and Emperor Marcion ascends the throne. He is much more tenacious than his predecessor. He immediately stops the annual tribute payment to the Huns and sends a clear message to Attila. He can attack if he wants, but a crushing defeat awaits him. The pressure works perfectly and Attila turns back. But he doesn't return to the Danube plains. He will attack the other part, the western side, which he deems more vulnerable. 
and Attila knows it well. He spent some years there as a teenager. He knows that its weakness lies in its resources. Attila does not launch his offensive on Rome, but heads straight for Gaul, the empire's granary. The horde of half a million Huns and other unified barbarian tribes then swept through Lutece, the ancient city of Paris, Orléans, Metz, Strasbourg, Reims, pillaging and destroying everything in their path. The reaction of the empire is slow to come, but the authorities eventually appoint the only man capable of stopping the Huns to lead the army. This man knows their practices and military strategies well. He even knows Attila personally. He is Flavius Aetius. On June 20th, 451, the army of the Huns and Flavius Aetius face each other at the Catalonian Plains. At precisely 3 p.m., Attila launches the assault. A swarm of riders charges the Roman army, shouting at the top of their lungs. The Roman soldiers tremble with fear, but Flavius Aetius knows exactly what to do. He orders his battalions to hold their position and erect a wall of shields in front of them. Attila, at a triple gallop, shoots a first arrow that lodges in Aetius's shield, a few centimeters from his face. The Hun warrior is not aiming at random. He wants the head of his childhood friend. A second later, a cloud of arrows rises in the air and falls like a hailstorm from hell on the Roman defense. But Flavius Aetius's strategy works. Most of them are blocked by the Roman shields that form a sort of shell. Behind them, the soldiers have no visibility. All they hear is the ground shaking under the hooves of tens of thousands of horses. And in a few seconds, this human and animal tide will fall on them with the force of an avalanche. The Roman general shouts to his troops to prepare for the impact. If they hold steady, victory is theirs. The next moment, Attila's horsemen collide head on with the Roman infantry. The impact is incredibly violent. The soldiers retreat several meters. Some fall backward, while others are literally crushed under the pressure. But the wall holds. Spearmen, Flavius Aetius shouts. Immediately another battalion, hidden behind the first line, enters the fray. They slide between the gaps in the Roman shields and thrust long lances through the Hunnish horsemen. In a second, the shell formation turns into a deadly hedgehog. Attila's army is completely disorganized. Horses neigh desperately with fear and pain, and human losses are colossal. The king of the Huns must turn back. He glares at his old friend, Flavius Aetius, who watches him with a mix of respect and pity. Attila immediately realizes that the Roman general has not yet played his last card. As Attila and his warriors gallop in the opposite direction towards the rest of the Hun people, they are caught in a pincer movement by another army that was lying in wait. That army is the Visigoths, a barbarian people that Aetius has managed to rally to his cause. Attila is furious. The Visigoth warriors attack from all sides, 
the noose tightens around Attila and his men. The Huns are numerous, about half a million, but most are women, children, and the elderly. Their progress is infinitely slower than that of a regular army. They will not be able to escape. As Attila thinks he is lost, Flavius Aetius raises his arm. Immediately, the Visigoth army loosens its grip and offers the Hun people a way out. Attila sees the opportunity and flees with his people, screaming with shame. He has just been defeated, and on top of that, the enemy has shown them mercy. He swears revenge. In reality, Flavius Aetius did not act out of simple kindness. He knows that by letting Attila go, the threat of the Huns will continue to hang over the West. He will therefore be seen not only as a hero of the empire, but also as an indispensable man in the defense of the territory in the future. Only a year later, in 452, Attila reorganizes his army and attacks Italy directly this time. He crosses the Alps and heads towards Rome. But once again, the Romans are one step ahead. They retreat to the south of the country, destroying everything behind them. They take the livestock, poison the wells, burn the homes and fruit trees. This is called the scorched earth policy. Attila and his men find themselves short of provisions and suffer from the summer heat. Very quickly, diseases spread among the Huns and Attila has no choice but to turn back again. Back in the Danube plains, Attila got married in 453, but on the night of his wedding, he died in his bed, suffocated by a nosebleed. Was it an accident? Perhaps. Some believe that he was assassinated on the orders of the new Byzantine emperor, before whom he had bowed a few years earlier. Attila was so respected among the Huns and idolized by the barbarian peoples that he was buried in a three-layered coffin made of gold, silver, and iron. And the slaves who dug his tomb were all slaughtered so that no one would know the location of his final resting place. Even today, the exact location of Attila's barrier remains unknown. In reality, Attila was far from the image we have of him today. He was not just a simple, bloodthirsty barbarian, but also a skilled politician and a brilliant strategist, highly ambitious and educated. In Hungary, for example, where Attila was born, he is regarded as a national hero, and many men still bear his name today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fabulous Destinies. Feel free to share with us stories that you would like to hear on your favorite listening platform or via Baba Bam's Instagram or Twitter page. We'll be happy to discover them.